American United is the full-service credit union for our veterans. Learn more about their 1% cashback visa with low fixed rates as well as cash back on every purchase. It's one of the ways they can give back to their members. Learn more at amucu.org. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, we've got Sarah Lynn. I think that with any type of good business, it's about the relationship, it's about how you talk to somebody and really empathize what the, what they're going through. And buyers tend to need to be on certain deadlines. But I think that if we try to listen to what they need, then they definitely will feel as if we're a team player and willing to work with them. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Before we get rolling, I want to invite you to get involved with Child Rescue, the charity our founders started. To learn more about them, just come to our website, iCollective.co, and check on the Child Rescue tab on our menu. Also, I want to talk to you about one of our show's sponsors. I met these guys back on episode six. CEO Zach Smith was telling me all about starting a skateboard company and how much he hated doing the bookkeeping uh, for a skateboard shop and how he really uh, got led to start this business, Bookly, that's a hybrid combining bookkeeping software and human services. And I'll tell you why I let him become a sponsor. It's because I use their service now. I don't love paying 50 bucks an hour for bookkeepers to do stuff that I know software could do way, way cheaper. But uh, I don't love bookkeeping at all. So I want a real live human who knows what they're talking about to help me with the stuff I don't understand. Uh, Probably the straw that broke the camel's back for me, though, the thing that put me over the top was that they could do my taxes and payroll also. Um, So totally suggest checking them out. Go to their website, bookly.co and check out their flat rates. I've been super happy with them. So now on to today's episode. Sarah, thanks for making time. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you uh, have us. <laughs> so uh, why don't you tell us about Ellie Funday? Yeah, so Ellie Funday was born out of a little bit of a dissatisfaction with my own career. I started out as a graphic designer and worked in the advertising field for over 10 years. And so I just got to a point in my career where I really felt as if I needed to do something a lot more positive with the skill sets that I had. And so I just decided to to think through what that might look like. It came to a point of where I was like very frustrated with one project and a client decided to make a really obscene request that wasn't even um, true to what they were asking me to do. And I think that that's really when I threw my hands up and said, this is it. I don't want to start something entirely new and different. So that's the impetus of LA Funday. And so for people who don't know what it is, can you describe the company and the nonprofit and how it all works? Yeah, so LA Funday designs organic baby blankets, and we work with marginalized linen women in India, giving them a fair wage and dignified employment. And the nonprofit arm that we have, we 
actually need to get a lot of these women up to speed in terms of how well they can make products. They're not your typical um, workers that would work in a sewing garment factory. And so the nonprofit arm actually trains and actually helps women with a lot more of their other um, social needs, for instance, like their medical needs or just basic needs to get them to a point where they're healthy and sustainable so that they could start working. That's great. And, and how long has it been going now? So initially, we started um, in 2012. However, it took us a good year to even figure out how to go about starting sewing manufacturing. That's something that's not my background at all. And so I decided to really do some research. We were on ground there for a month or so, just trying to get things started. A lot of failures along the way. And I don't have a background also in supply chain management. So we had to grow our whole entire supply chain from scratch. And so from that point, we started prototyping blankets um, with them. And I just wanted to see if these blankets would sell. And so I took them to boutique stores that were nearby and asked them, is this something that you would sell? And they're like, yeah, when are you ready to ship? And so we hustled and really got our act together. And so we first, our first shipment of blankets shipped Christmas 2013. So that's when we started. And, you know, good friend Amy Stellhorn, who's also been on the show, put us in contact. She kind of raves about your stuff. Like you guys have had some pretty great reception. (laughs) So did you want to talk about um, just how many stores you're in and celebrities who've been seen buying your stuff and the thing with Barney's? Yeah, yeah, for sure. We love Amy and I worked with Amy in the past. And um, yeah, right now over 150 stores across the United States and internationally carry our products, a lot of them in specialty boutiques and in ABC Home and Carpet and Nordstrom's. And most recently, we launched a collaboration with Barney's. They have this iconic Barney the Lion, and they wanted us to hand embroider that onto their baby blankets. And one of our very first celebrity babies was um, Eva Chen's baby. Eva Chen was the editor of Lucky Magazine, and now she's the head of um, Instagram fashion. And she's always been such a huge supporter of us. And it's really cool that she decided to feature our love struck blanket for her um, go-to, like, pack a maternity bag. And so we were really excited when that happened. And I really love working with her just because she really knows how to tell a good story. Um, you know, looking through this stuff, we, we've got my wife and I have four kids. <laughs> I know oh. <laughs> if, if this stuff had been out when uh, our kids were younger, especially like these hats with the bunny ears and stuff. My that's wife, that's our bestseller. Yeah, that's really <laughs> those are, are really our bestseller. <laughs> yeah, my wife would have been we would have been well stocked with these. So um, let's talk about um, this idea of you know, doing something profitable that makes the world better. Uh, working with these these women, um, for, for people who haven't worked with a population like that, can you talk about just the benefits and, and what it's been for, like for you personally? Yeah, the benefits, I'll be honest with you, I think that I need to personally look at it from a long-term trajectory because if I look at it from a short term, it's really hard to necessarily say, okay, there's an immediate you know, um, change there because what we're trying to do is much more in the development side of things and is not charity. And so my whole entire, um, I guess, personal um take on it is that we're trying to actually sustain these women so that they could take care of their own families. And what that means to me is providing a 
fair wage and a job where they could come and be safe and feel like they're going to be taken care of as opposed to the instability that they could possibly have um, in their current situation. A lot of these women don't come from a very high educational background and we work with in pretty remote areas in India where there isn't a lot of access to jobs that will be sustainable from a day-to-day basis. So if they weren't working with us in the sewing unit, then they would probably be doing day labor jobs, which isn't necessarily going to ensure that they could get a fair wage on a day-to-day basis. So they're working just kind of small little contract jobs. And so that takes some time um, to really establish a really credible sewing unit. Luckily, we're working in partnership with a nonprofit that already has a sewing unit that um, has decided to employ women that have faced some form of domestic violence or abuse. And on site, they have a, a place where they could house these women, these women away from the abuser. So it keeps them in a safe environment. There's also a clinic on site and um, they take the kids also to school. So there's a daily school bus that takes them um, so that the kids could have education. So I think that in terms of benefits, I think that just on a short term, what I see when I'm there is there's this great sense of community that the women have. I don't think that typical sewing units might have that. They come in, they're laughing, they sit around in a circle and they're sewing and they're joke making just really funny jokes. And I don't think that's a typical work situation if you're looking at any other type of um, factory per se. And so I think that that in itself is valuable to me, that they could feel safe and that they could come to a place where they could say, I have these sisters I could work with and I could do good with the stuff that I make. So. Well, I'm such a huge fan of it. I mean, everybody who listens to the show knows about Child Rescue, um, the charity we started trying to prevent child trafficking and human trafficking. And I'll tell you, like me personally, I'm, I, you know, I was on a trip to, I'm thinking about a trip when I was down at an aftercare facility in Nicaragua for a week. And looking around at just like how economically vulnerable these mm. girls and women were and, and little boys, unfortunately. I mean, it, it was somewhat depressing to think like, man, the work we're doing here is great. But, you know, if there isn't like, you know, you, you, you would like to think life doesn't come down to money. But right. if these people can't uh, afford to get themselves into a more secure position than the barrios that, that were so easy for traffickers to manipulate and, and abuse them in, it, it is uh, it's, it's a high probability that more problems are going to happen. So for us to see something where it's not just charity, where it's I don't know. My personal belief is, even though I have a five one c three, I think social <laughs> enterprise is way better. So I think, we do, yes. So we do. <laughs> well, it just when like I think about it this way. You know, I've always had for profit businesses. You know, after leaving mergers and acquisitions for Citigroup, I was even running entire investment funds, right? Mm-hmm. And no matter how much money you can donate, you can only ever donate so much time because then you got to get back to paying the mortgage. And so if you can pay the mortgage while making the world better, to me, that's just so likely to keep going because we all got to pay the mortgage, you know? Right, right. We're there. I'm there with you too. So we're hustling on a day-to-day basis. Such a fan. (laughs) Um, I'm sure that there are some difficulties though. Can you talk about, you know, learning the supply chain management world? Yeah, I think that... Um, it was, it's a really hairy thread that I didn't know what I was getting into. Um, 
And the biggest challenge that we have is sourcing organic cotton, mainly because a lot of the larger chains like Walmart or Target, they would buy out the futures. And there's more demand than there is actually supply. And so we're competing against these large manufacturers for that supply. And so we're not buying in a bulk sense and we're buying much smaller um, quantities and they are buying. And so there's a lot of competition. And so that really um, squeezes us into a corner on certain levels. When it comes to our margins, we can't necessarily buy at the same volumes. And so there is a really delicate balance for us when it comes to um, designing a product that will sell at the price point that we need it to be alongside with um, our own personal um, convictions about buying organic, because we believe that if we're going to help people, organic in essence helps the farmers because they're not spraying pesticides and ruining their health and contracting any other diseases. And so that's one of our greatest challenges is sourcing. And I think that in the end, a lot of companies deal with the same thing. Supply chain management is in our, in itself. And I think that that's something I'm really appreciating now and also coming alongside of um, the whole like shipping and figuring out the timelines and production. That's all hairy in itself as well. Sure. You know, I think we, we get feedback from customer or from listeners saying like they love to hear stories from people who are doing cool things. Like, you know, there's a lot of us that, Anybody in retail would probably like to be doing anything <laughs> partnerships with Barney's, okay? Yeah. But, um, but they really like to hear that it didn't get handed to you on a silver platter either, like what you had to figure <laughs> out. So, like, for instance, w- what were, like, dealing with that supply chain issue? What What did you eventually discover as, you know, finally we knew this person who knew that person and we got this contract worked out? Or what did that actually look like in real life to get what you needed at the price you needed it at? Oh, man. Um, there's a lot of... It wasn't. There's a lot of moving parts. I think that um, most most of the time it was just as you said, asking around a lot, and we started asking people in the industry um, for contacts when it co- came to textiles. We have some partners um, up in Calcutta called Freeset Global, and they work with women um, out of the sex trade. And so they started connecting us to some of their resources, and we started asking around, started looking on India Mart, and just emailing people vetting the whole vetting process of making sure is the supplier reliable and we we've been into different um towns like textile towns so i visited at least i think five to six different like manufacturers of textiles and i think that through some strange luck i think our current supplier we found through india mart and a lot of times it seems a little bit sketchy to find someone online, but I think now that people are much more familiar with sourcing online, they're trying to build credibility. And so that supplier just ended up working and he's been really amazing in helping us um, make the right um, buys and working with us in terms of what we're trying to do as well. And he knows that we are trying to help women. And so there's a really good relationship there. We see each other's families. And so that's really an amazing partnership that we've found. So, yeah. Um, you know, thinking about business, um, whether someone is inside an organization or running their own organization, you know, there's what needs to get done, logistics, tactics, things like that. And then there's always the, who, who we have to work with to get that right. done. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, for, for those of us who haven't, you know, done something with Barney's of New York, when you think about partnerships on that level, what are some of the rules of thumb that you keep in mind as far as making sure this is a benefit to them or, or ways that you approach developing a relationship with someone at that level? 
Yeah. Um, Barney's, the conversation took about two years. They saw us at our very first trade show. And I think the, I, I think a lot of times when small brands like us think of Barney's, we're like, oh my gosh, you're so big. But I think that the perspective that we had was to always develop relationship. And that's what we try to do. And a lot of times these buyers are inundated with tons of requests and they know what they want and they'll tell you what they want. And I think that we try to take the approach of we'll let them like guide us along the way as opposed to pushing them in a in in a way of just like bugging someone oh do you want the sale do you want the sale and i think that really benefited us because we said you know what hey um so and so we're happy to talk when you're ready let us know what's best to do and she's good about that and our our buyer at Byronies is awesome. She she tells us, "Oh, I love you guys because you guys aren't pushy." And I was like, "Okay, that's that's good. It worked." And I think at the same time, we need to make the numbers work. And so they're very um, cognizant of what we're trying to do. And so we build that relationship and say, "Hey, this is what we're trying to do. This is a number that's going to work for us. Are you guys okay with that?" And so there's a lot of dialogue in that process. And I think that with any type of good business, is about the relationship, is about how you talk to somebody and really empathize what the, what they're going through. And I think that buyers tend to um, need to be on certain deadlines. But I think that if we try to listen to what they need, then they definitely will feel as if we're a team player and willing to work with them. So, yeah. You know, it's so interesting when you read sales books. I mean, a dozen years ago, um, after I worked at Black & Decker, I actually owned a sales training company. Huh. And it was it was very much the old methodology of like v- verbal jousting. You know, they say huh. this, then you say that. And like how to get the appointment and, you know, this kind of stuff. And <laughs> right. I think like the first decade of my sales career, like I made okay money, but I didn't make insane money, you know? Mm-hmm. And when I think about some of like the larger transactions I, I was able to get eventually, they were not like some proposal I was jamming down somebody's throat that I like, I outmaneuvered them and debated them into doing it. It was like this like service-based thing where I like how you said like they thought you were on their team. Yeah. And then people like came back to me with these like multi-million dollar orders when I was asking for you know, several hundred thousand, you know, <laughs> and it was like, um, anyways, I just like the way you said that about being on their team and not pushing them. I mean, right. we all hate being sold something, but we all love going to buy like a new gadget at the Apple store. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So right. like, yeah, I like this idea of like, it sounds like I'm putting words in your mouth here, but it sounds like you were like giving them the opportunity to buy rather than mm-hmm cramming it down their throat. Yeah, I think, yeah, no one likes to be sold. And you totally can read someone when they're being sold. And so it's like, you're trying to always play it cool. And I kind of of equate it to dating, where (laughs) if you're like the hungry, like guy going after a girl, it's a total like put off, right? And so, but then if you like play it cool, and and you just kind of drop little hints, you kind of like wait for them to come to you. It's this interesting, like relationship. And I think there's something mutually beneficial about that. And I think there is a bit of a courting dating aspect to it too. So. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, I'm thinking about it. As soon as you said that I started laughing, I was thinking about a story when I was college age and, um, I, I know a guy who uh, 
had a, had a certain individual he was very interested in, but he, <laughs> he didn't think being her puppy dog was going to win her over. Right. right. So uh-huh. like he went to a dance down at UCLA with her and a friend. And rather than asking her to dance first, he would like intentionally ask the, the friend to dance first. Or like oh when God. they go sit on the side, he would wait to wait for them to sit down and then sit on the side with the friend instead of with her. Right. That's hilarious. But still like <laughs> still like having fun and still smiling and still joking around, you know, right. like teasing, but not but not the puppy dog. Right. Right. And right. Right. We are not as humans like there's no no, no wonder for like 2000 years people have referred to us as sheep. Right. <laughs> like yeah. that. We like confidence. We follow confidence, you know. Right. And so um, there's something about like we like to know people like us, but there's also something about um, them having some like, I don't know, their own anchor in life that is attractive. Huh? Yeah, I think that's de- that's definitely true, because I think that if you f- if you come across needy, it's almost off putting even to other brands. And I think that's how we approach, I think, even new um prospects, we tell them what we do and we tell our story and we approach it in the sense of, do you want to partner in what we're doing? This is what we're trying to do. And would you like to be a part of our story? And I think that with that approach, it drives a much more deeper purpose. And what as just, I think that retail could be just so um, focused on just that end result of buying. But I think that as people are buying much more consciously, they want to resonate with the purpose. And I think that buyers definitely understand that more. And they connect with that level. And they say, you know what, you guys are doing some good and I want to be a part of it. And I think that's much more meaningful than, okay, we're just going to sell a blanket. And in the end, that's what's going to solidify, I think, um, the people that love us and our tribe and the people that really believe in what we do is that they support us, you know, wherever we go, even if we fail. I think that that's um, authenticity in its own self too. So, Yeah. It's interesting how much easier it is to build an authentic relationship too if we get out of the business of convincing people, right? Right. When you said, hey, this is what we're trying to do. Do you want to partner with us? Rather than you should be partnering with us because we're making the world better. And like humans don't like to have their agency taken away, right? We don't like to be shoehorned into things. Not at all. Yeah. But how much, how much better is your life as the, as the CEO or as the sales rep when you like, don't have to frame your whole existence as convincing people of things they don't already believe, you know? Right. And I think it's probably easy for me because this is really my own personal conviction. And so I'm just telling my story of why I'm doing what I'm doing. And if you'd like to join, sure, great. And I think that, um, yeah, it's, it's, there's, there's a fine balance between sales. And I think that our approach has always been, even at like our trade shows, like how can we invite people to our booth and be hospitable to them, like give first and to um, be the ones that are giving first as opposed to asking. And I think that that has always played well for us. And how do we create an atmosphere of invitation? Like even when they come to our booth, we give them like water, candy, cookies, whatsoever. Like let's get to know each other first before we even talk business. And I think that approach in itself has really helped us because we want to develop friendships more than anything. And if this person that we're talking to just is not a nice person, there's going to be an obvious disconnect. And I think we feel it when that happens. And then that's not going to be a good business connection. But when the relationship is right, I think that blossoms into something so much more. Yeah. Well, I think this is a great place to uh, to start with part one, but make sure to ch- tune in for our next episode 
uh, where we'll be talking to Sarah about some of the other adventures that she's had. Thanks so much. We're going to cut off part one of the interview there in the interest of time. We've had feedback that people would rather have 20 to 30 minute episodes, so we're going to break the interviews in half. Please check back tomorrow for part two of the interview. And as always, come to iCollective.co for show notes and to learn more about child rescue, go to the menu and, and look at our child rescue page and see if that's something that you'd like to get involved with. Thanks for listening. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for two ninety nine subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara. Cold cut combo. Veggie delight. Or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied.